0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, we're going to finish up the book of Titus tonight. Uh, you know, I, I noticed uh, I've got kind of a 3-2-1 strategy here. Uh, the first chapter took me three weeks, the second chapter took me two weeks, and now the, uh, the last chapter I'm going to finish in one sermon. So, 3-2-1. Uh, uh, um, tonight's passage that we're looking at it kind of sums up a lot of what um, he's been talking about throughout the rest of the book. Uh, there is still this emphasis on um, the connection between life and doctrine. Uh, healthy doctrine, healthy uh, theology, will produce right living, um, and uh, that, that's the way that it has been so far. As we've as we've been looking at Titus, that's the way it is uh, throughout the Bible. But you notice it particularly in the pastoral epistles, which is First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus here. Um, a lot of this sounds a lot like what we looked at last week. We're going to, going to take a look at it tonight. So let's, let's read our text from uh, Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, of, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. For as, a person, for, a per, as for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come to you expecting to hear from you as we open your word as it is expounded lord we we know that when we hear your word read and explained we hear your voice father be with me help me to be faithful to what your word says and not to err to the right or to the left lord help me i need your grace i am sinful. I am prideful. I often um, have errors in judgment. Lord, I pray that you would protect me from that tonight. Lord, help me to proclaim your word with boldness. Lord, feed your people by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We know Paul is uh, writing to Titus here. Paul had, had apparently gone here to Crete. he had uh, preached the gospel, and people believed. A church began, but Paul did not stick around to set things in order, but he left Titus to do so. We saw a few weeks ago how Titus was left there to appoint leadership and uh, to set what remained in order. And Paul here also, at the end of chapter 1, he talks about false teachers, and specifically the false teachers in chapter 1 were those who tended towards legalism. They were uh, the circumcision party that were saying that uh, a a person in order to become a Christian, a Gentile who wanted to become a Christian, had to be circumcised. Um, Paul would have nothing of the sort. It was a denial of the gospel of grace. We saw in the last couple of weeks how um, Paul was uh, telling Titus that older men should uh, disciple younger men and uh, um, older women should disciple younger women to teach them uh, to obey their husbands and to, uh, to love their husbands and their children and all those kinds of things. I, 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 uh, th- this, that part really hit me today you know we were, we invited bradley over to to lunch with us after church this morning at uh, at Woburn, and uh i pointed out the fact that i'm i'm twice his age <laughs> now, i'm not that old uh but but uh you know he he's only 20 and uh and i'm pushing 40 you know, and uh so uh, i I didn't no when I read that when I when I preached that a couple of weeks ago I wasn't thinking of myself as one of the older men, but uh, it's that chain, isn't it? You 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 the the older men they disciple younger men and then those younger men they have to disi- they disciple those that are even younger and we have that chain that if it goes unbroken we can keep things going. But what happens so often is the chain is broken. We don't pass on that that. Uh, Baton of leadership to that next generation. Um, we don't disciple like we like we should. Last week we had that beautiful passage that talked about how the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And it's that grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness. It's that grace that leads us to repentance. We we turn away from what we used to be. We turn away from that evil that still resides in our very hearts. Not because we want to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God, but because of the grace that has already appeared in Jesus. And then we come to chapter 3 where Paul kind of ties all of what we've looked at together. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, and to be obedient. I think he's talking here about the civil authorities. We are to obey uh, be, obey the, the government, obey the, the laws of the land, insofar as it doesn't lead us into sin. Um, I think one of the points we can see, this is for the sake of the Gospel, for the sake of of uh, being able to have a good witness. Um, we've got enough things that we can be criticized about. We've got enough things that people think we're strange about. The fact that we believe that marriage is given by God and should be between only a man and a woman is something that now in this age, we're looked at like we're weird, like we're strange. So we don't need to add on to that a rebellious attitude. We need to, where we can, obey the civil authorities. Be people who, who uh, um, when we, if we were to ever build something, uh, make sure that we're, we're following all the rules about, about uh, um, uh, codes and all those kind of things for the sake of the gospel because we're submitting to authority just as we've been commanded to do. It, it looks good on the gospel when we do so. Then he says, to be ready for every good work. As he had already said in in earlier places, he keeps bringing up good works. Good works. Not that we're saved by good works, but that when we are changed, when we're saved, when we have that heart change within us, we become a people that are zealous for good works. We become changed. We want to go out and be generous because Jesus has been so generous to us. Because he has given us everything. He's given us his son. He didn't spare his own son but delivered him up to the cross. And so we in turn give ourselves. We pour out our lives. We pour out, we become generous with the things that we have. We become generous with our time. We become generous people. We we do good works in the name of Jesus to bring glory to God and to bring glory to the Gospel. It says to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. There is nothing that can Mess up a church faster than gossip, isn't there? Between, but like, speaking evil of other one another uh, and, and quarreling amongst the body of Christ. Those are the kinds of things, when, when people see that from the outside, they think, why would I want to be a part of that? We've got enough fighting and squabbling on the outside of the church. And then they see us believers talking talking that way about one another. And, and it, it diminishes the glory of the gospel. So we ought to be people who never speak evil of one another. Um, we may have our differences. We may have our, our disagreements. But we are people who, who follow practices like Matthew 18. And we go to someone individually and we talk things out and we work them out that way rather than going and, and spreading gossip around. We're to be gentle and to have courtesy toward all people. All of these things are, are things that, that make the Gospel beautiful. Um, when I say make the Gospel beautiful, I need to work on the way I say that. The Gospel is already beautiful. But it's like decorating it. It's putting adornment on it. In in chapter 2, verse 10, that in everything they may adorn the Gospel of God our Savior. We're putting adornment on it. We're we're, we're dressing it up with things that make it even more attractive. We're, 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 We're doing good works to show what is already beautiful for what it is. Now... I've talked a lot about good works, about doing things. And and it begins to sound like law. But then Paul turns the corner and he begins to tell us why, what motivates us to do good works. First of all, we do good works because we remember our past. We remember what we used to be. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The motivation that Paul gives here for why we should do good works is we have been changed. We used to be one way, but God has changed us. We used to be argumentative. We used to be people who would slander other people. We used to be people who were not gentle. But we've been changed. Verse 4 says, But when the goodness and, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, we used to be that way. We used to be people who were filled with malice and envy and hated one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So not only are we motivated for good works because of our past, because of what we used to be, we're motivated by His grace. But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared. It appeared. It had been hidden throughout all the ages, throughout the Old Testament. We were looking forward to a Messiah that was to come. We saw promises that were glimpses all the way from Genesis 3 on forward through the prophets. And when Jesus came, the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared. It became visible for us to see. And we got to see how Jesus lived a sinless life so that we could be counted with His righteousness. And how He died for us in our place, taking our punishment. That is the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior that appeared He saved us, verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He didn't save us because of our good works. He didn't save us because we were smart enough. He didn't save us because we had enough money. He didn't save us because we were born into the right family. He didn't save us because of anything that we did. We are not saved by the good works that we do. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. It was mercy all the way. We didn't deserve it. We were... Filthy, dirty, lying in the mud by the side of the road. And Jesus came and He picked us up and He redeemed us like we talked about last week. He washed us clean and made us His special treasure. It was His mercy. We didn't deserve anything. And then it says, By washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, it's talking about the new birth. This regeneration. We're given a new heart. Like the passage that Bradley read. He talking in the Old Testament about how God was saying that one day He would sprinkle clean water on His people. He would take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And when we trust in Jesus Christ to save us, He takes out that old heart that hard heart, that resistant and stubborn heart that was set and bent on sin, and He gives us a new heart, a heart that is tender, a heart that, that is broken over our own sin, and a heart that loves Him. He has changed us. He has regenerated us. And He's Renewed us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living inside of us and changing us. We're being conformed day by day into His image. Romans talks about the renewing of our minds. Verse 6 whom He poured out. Now this is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit is not stingy. It says that the Father poured out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We Baptists, I am no Pentecostal I am I am not a charismatic um, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes salvation possible uh, Apart from the Holy Spirit enlightening our eyes, making us change from... Being a person who was once a God hater into someone who loves God, we could never be saved. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on us richly. He is not stingy with the Holy Spirit. You want to experience the Holy Spirit? Just ask Him because He's not stingy. Help him. Ask Him to, to help you to sense His presence with you. He wants you to sense His presence with you day by day. To remember that the Holy Spirit is there with you. Whenever you are facing difficulties, whenever you are facing trials, to remember the Holy Spirit is there living in you, helping you, giving you strength to face whatever it is that you face. And when you face temptation, remember that the Holy Spirit is there with you. And He sees all. He sees everything that we're tempted to do. And He knows our hearts and our minds. And sometimes we resist the Holy Spirit because we we just want to sin. And we push down that fact that we know that the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. He lives inside of us that in our temptation sometimes we we would rather have that sin and just forget that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Oh, that we would remember all the time that the Holy Spirit is with us. Verse 7, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Two ideas here. First of all, justification. God has legally declared us righteous. If we have trusted in Christ, He has justified us. Being justified by His grace. Not anything we deserve. It's by His grace. It's a gift. But He has justified us. It's God, the judge of all the earth. He looks down us and declares not guilty. He looks down on us and declares justified. He looks down on us and He declares that we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. We don't have an actual righteousness. We are justified by God It is an imputed righteousness. God gives us His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of that man who lived a sinless and perfect life, and He counts that on our behalf. We have been justified by His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He has adopted us into His family. We were once His enemies, we were once rebels, we were, we were once without God and without any hope in the world, and He has adopted us, let us be called His very children, that we can be called the sons of God. You ever wonder why it says that to, to admit, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become sons of God? Why it says sons there, whenever we've got men and women. Why does it say sons? It's because the sons get the inheritance. The sons get the inheritance. So whenever it says sons get the inheritance, we are all joint heirs, both men and women equally. So there are times in which the Bible uses that word sons And it's talking about both men and women together because we are equal in our inheritance. That we are equal in what we gain. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, a part of his family, adopted and waiting upon the promise of eternal life. Verse 8. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. He comes back around to where he started. It's kind of like a sandwich. First, you know, you got the bread, and you got the meat, and you got the bread. So the bread on the top? He's giving us these commands about how we're to be submissive to authority and we're supposed to do good works. And then He gives us the meat on the inside. And He tells us the Gospel about what Jesus has done about this grace that motivates our obedience. And then finally, He comes back and puts the bread on the other side. And He tells us, insist on these things. Insist on the Gospel. Insist on that that we do our good works based on what He has done for us so that we'll be profitable with good works. Let me read that again. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're motivated by what God has done. Not so that we can be accepted, but we're motivated by what He has already done for us in Jesus Christ. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's profitable. It's it's good. It's excellent. It's profitable when we pour ourselves out in good works. And then he gives a contrast. He tells us what not to do, but... Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Good works that are motivated by faith in Christ, good works, works that are motivated by the grace that we have received, those things are profitable, those things are excellent. But foolish controversies and squabbles, quarrels about the law, Those things are worthless. Those things are unprofitable. I'm gonna remind us, this kind of goes back to the end of chapter one. What were the false teachers in chapter one? They were they were legalists. They were saying that Gentiles who wanted to be saved had to be circumcised. They They were saying they had to continue to hold on to the Mosaic law and follow all those regulations. These, this description here we see in, in uh, verse 9 about the things we're to avoid are very similar to that. Quarrels about the law. And then this genealogy idea. I, I, the genealogies are part of Scripture and they're, they're there for our benefit. Uh, I've preached a couple of genealogies before I came here and there's some really rich stuff in there. What he's talking about is not the genealogies of Scripture, that we should avoid those. The genealogies, I think, is, is like having a, a, a good pedigree about, oh, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, I'm of the tribe of Judah. And trying to base our worth, our acceptance, our, our um, righteousness before God based on what family line we came from. And don't we sometimes fall into that? Oh, he comes from good stock. Well, I've got, I've got three or four great grandpas, great great grandpas who were pastors, which is true for me. <laughs> I, every single young man on, on my father's side of the family, uh, uh, of all my cousins, uh, are either a deacon or a pastor, except for one. That that's something to boast about, isn't it? No, not before God. Not before God. It doesn't earn us anything. It really doesn't earn us anything. Yeah. We're not to boast in those things, but we boast in the Gospel. We boast in grace. It's not about what family we came from. It's about His grace. Well, he, can, he can take someone from the worst imaginal family, family background and turn their heart around and put a new heart into them And they can become a great evangelist and bring glory to God. Verse 10, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. We've talked before, I believe, about church discipline. That is one of the things that... uh, Uh, should characterize a church. We should hold one another accountable. If someone uh, who is a a believer, who's a member, once we have a membership here, (laughs) who's a member, falls into sin, we should practice Matthew 18 and go to them as an individual and plead with them to repent. And if they don't, come with another person, plead with them to repent. And if they don't, bring it before the church. And for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the reputation of the gospel, if they still don't repent when we bring it before the church, we cast them out. We don't recognize them as a believer anymore because they're not living like it. That is uh, saying here that being divisive is one of the reasons why we might practice that. Just bringing up division and, and, and causing dissension among the body. I'm going to move on from there. Verses twelve through fifteen might be easy to just kind of pass over. Oh he's just closing the letter and he's giving some kind of greetings as he closes the letter, but I think there's some really, really good stuff here. Verse twelve. When I send our Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come with come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. What can we learn from that? Paul loved the people at the church that that Titus was pastoring, and he longed to be with them. You know what? Pastors need to love the people they preach to. They need to enjoy spending time with the people that they preach to. It would be wrong for a pastor to graduate from seminary, think he's got whatever, whatever he needs, he's got his tool belt full of all the uh, things that he needs, all the books that he needs, and spend all of his time in the study and never get out among the people. That would be a tragedy. Johnny Hunt, uh, a former president of the SBC, um, and a few others have, have uh, quoted this to me. They say, Shepherds smell like sheep. So, I want to get to know everybody outside of just being here on Sunday and preaching to you. If you've got some kind of a yard project or something that needs help with me, help. Just call me. We can work out a time. I can come help. Just so I can spend time with you and get to know you. Uh, I'm not omnicompetent. I don't have. I don't have. Uh, 64 hours in a day. But I value time spent with people in the congregation. And so uh, I'll do my best to try to spend time with you. Uh, Whether it's working shoulder to shoulder in the yard. Whether it's meeting together for coffee. um, I want to value spending time with people in the congregation. And not, not just come up on Sunday, do my thing, and go home. And then... Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Zenos and Apollos, I'm guessing they're people that were being sent out from the church there in Crete to to do gospel work. And Paul was telling them, don't let them lack anything. You're going out as missionaries, so give generously to them. Give generously, lavish upon them generously for the work of the gospel. Uh, we talked a little bit at the very beginning when I was just announcing and, and introducing Bradley uh, about the what the way we what we do with what's given at the end of a service. Um, and one of the things we're going to be doing is giving cooperatively through our state association, through the association. Um, we're that's one way that we practice giving generously so that our missionaries, there are missionaries. North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, those are our missionaries. That's one way we can make an impact throughout the world. I think we can do more together than we can individually. And so by giving to these through the International Mission Board, through the North American Mission Board, we can make sure that our missionaries lack nothing. Verse 14, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes of urgent need and not be unfruitful. When we see urgent need around us in our community, we need to give generously like that too. Someone has, um, you can think of a number of, of, of things. Uh, there are some ways that we can help, and then, you know, there really is some ways helping hurts. When, when, you, when you encourage a, 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 a dependence, whenever they just keep coming back, never really learn to, to take care of themselves. But we need to have generous hearts and be willing to be taken advantage of occasionally. If we're we're so afraid that, that we're going to be taken advantage of, we'll always keep our fists tight and we'll never risk to give for the glory of God. Verse 15, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And that's what it comes down to. Grace. We've been given instructions. As Paul wrote to Titus, we have been given instructions on how we're to live. Being generous. Doing good works. But it's all motivated by grace. Grace. He has redeemed us. He has washed us. He has regenerated us. He's given us new hearts. He has made us joint heirs with Jesus. And all those things should be our driving motivation. That we pour ourselves out in love and good deeds to all. As Galatians says, especially to those of the household of faith. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com Or you can like us on Facebook.